Big Dumb Movie is a comedic podcast that often contains obscene language and outlandish commentary. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where we discuss movies of the big dumb variety. I'm your host, Corey, and I am joined today with two of the best friends that I've ever had. First up, Jonathan, say hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on again. Of course. Lovely to have you. Thank you, Jonathan, for making the trip out here. Appreciate you being here. Also joining us, an old friend of mine, one of the greats, Ryer. What's up? I'm glad to be back, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you, Ryer. Of course, we had this lineup, me, Jonathan, and Ryer, on the In the Army Now podcast almost a year ago. Can you believe it? We haven't done any Pauly Shore movies since then. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, time's flying, man. I'm getting old. Ryer, was your knee-jerk reaction to come on and do another Pauly Shore movie, or are you glad we did this one? I am so glad we did this one. Pauly Shore, uh, it's it's hard to watch his movies these days. <laughs> we are here to discuss a 1985 film called Weird Science, written and directed by John Hughes. Now, we've done some John Hughes movies before, Jonathan. Yes. Baby's Day Out. Yep. And something else, probably? Uh, Christmas Vacation? No. Is that him? Vegas no. Vacation. Vegas Vacation. <laughs> Which there we go. I, I don't think he was actually directly involved in, but of course he yeah. created or it was uh, contributed to the original characters in which that sequel is based on. Uh, so, so his name's on it. His name is on it, yes. Yeah. He gets royalties. <laughs> yeah. I do want to discuss John Hughes a little bit, maybe not in the same exact way we did before. Jonathan... What can you tell me about John Hughes? Do you have do you feel like you have a relationship with him? No, not necessarily. I don't really personally know him or anything, but, but a connection. <laughs> Come on. Um I, I, I don't think I carry a connection to him, but when I was pretty young, maybe like 10, 11, 12, 13. That was when my mom, um, I specifically remember she started like introducing me into the like Brat Pack films, you know? Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, and uh, this one. Um, I remember watching these movies as a kid with my mom, and I thought it was pretty cool. And then I think after that, subconsciously, I enjoyed watching John Hughes films because I'm looking at his his portfolio here, let's call it that, um, from like 83 up through like 95, 96. There were just so many hits. And and I like a lot of the older stuff too. Like as I got probably closer to my twenties, I had a friend. We had made a list of like eighties movies that we wanted to watch. And we literally had like, I don't know, maybe a hundred different eighties movies. And we were really into watching those like every single week. And a lot of John Hughes was on that. Special shout out to Uncle Buck. Love that movie. So many good uh uh jokes with John Candy in there. You ever hear of a tuna? <laughs> you ever hear of a ritual killing? <laughs> I don't get it. You know on her face in public like that again and you'll be one. <laughs> yeah, I think of you when I think of that movie because I know you love it like deeply. Yeah, yeah, that's always a good time. Like I will stop watching whatever's on TV if that's on. I'll change it. 
Yeah, I I feel like that with some movies too. Like Hook, I have like a deep, like deep seated love in For my sure. soul. For sure. Uh, so I know what you mean. I mean, in in regards to John Hughes, I just want to say, and I know people like our age know this. Maybe people at a younger generation don't know this, Jonathan. But Home Alone defined the '90s. Like that movie was a fucking game changer. That yeah. movie was so ridiculously huge. It kicked off like careers. I mean, I don't want to say it kicked off Chris Columbus's career because he was already working, but it definitely brought him to a new level. Macaulay Culkin brought him to a new level. I think it even brought John Hughes to a new level. Like that was a huge commercial success. And and it defined my childhood in a big way as well. And it set the stage for like movies of the 90s that are geared towards kids of like this this certain mm-hmm. angle of the bad kid movie that I always love to talk about. Yeah. Home I, Alone is a fucking big one. I, I think there was um, a point of change in that movie also in the like um, marketing aspect for other companies. Like you really notice it, like the Pepsi and the, the Domino's pizza or pizza hut or whatever it was. And the airplane branding. And like, there were so many major companies in that movie that I took notice personally in, in Home Alone. Product um, placement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Home Alone, great product placement movie. Well, of course, Home Alone 2 had the Talk Boy, which yeah. was like the coolest fucking toy ever. What a piece of shit, though. I wanted that thing so bad. <laughs> Ryer, did you ever get one? I feel like, I mean, no offense, but I feel like in your family, you might have got one of those. Oh, I definitely got one, but it was about a decade later. I mean... <laughs> a decade later? Yeah, I mean, my dad was pretty successful, but, you know, um, he had five kids, so, you know, things kind of got divvied up, and I think I ended up getting one from, like, a uh, like a thrift store or something like that. I mean, it wasn't cool anymore. Yak backs <laughs> were affordable. Everybody got those yak backs. Do you remember those? Yeah, Dude, that's what I had, the knockoff yak, yak bag. Backs. I hate <laughs> because here was the thing. It was, like, it was like Tiger Electronics for kids that didn't get a Game Boy or a, or a Game Gear. So if your parents wanted to get you the talk boy, but like wanted to spend a hundred less bucks, they would get you a yak back, which could record, I think three seconds of fucking audio. Those things were a piece of shit. They sounded like shit. Everyone had one. They were worthless. Like if you had that, that wasn't like, you couldn't do any cool tricks. You couldn't do the slow-mo. You couldn't call a hotel and like order a room with a slow-mo voice. Like credit card, you got it. But they looked cool, though. They had, like, transparent plastic casing on it, so you could see the the board inside. (laughs) Yeah, that was a a big aesthetic of the time, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I hate yak bags. Ryer, (laughs) tell me about John Hughes. Okay, so for me, this movie was actually pretty important. I think it played on TBS, like, every freaking day. And I watched the heck out of it, watched the TV show, and then, of course, of course, Home Alone. I mean, that's that was a really big one for me. You know, everybody wanted to be Macaulay Culkin in it. I mean, I still watch it every Christmas. I kind of have a weird ritual where I I used to get it like my TV VCR combo and bring it into the bathroom and take a bath and watch Home Alone. And now I just watch it on my phone. That is a weird ritual. <laughs> yeah, man. But that that's my Christmas. <laughs> Um, so you didn't use the traditional toaster in the bathtub, huh? No. <laughs> Trying no. to do it with the TV. Death by Culkin, <laughs> exclusively for me. 
I'm gonna die doing what I love, <laughs> reviewing a movie. <laughs> you know, the Brat Pack movies, like Sixteen Candles, they didn't really resonate with me when I was younger, just because I was pretty young. I mean, my sister, who's about a decade older than me, those were really influential for her. But I feel like a lot of his movies, the aftermath of them, like um, Saved by the Bell, I feel was heavily influenced by the theming of of uh, John Hughes's movies. So, I mean, yeah, he was he was so important. Yes, you're right. The cultural impact can't be understated. Exactly. I know what you mean, Ryer, and I appreciate that. I really liked The Breakfast Club when I was a kid, like in a huge way. It was my favorite movie for a long time. I was way too young to watch a movie like that. But that was the case with a lot of movies I watched. I was definitely like maybe three to seven years too young to watch it, but I liked it anyway. I don't think I really understood The Breakfast Club. I just kind of thought it was cool and funny. You know, when you get older, you like understand like what these kids are going through like mentally more. And that's what it's about. It's about like each each person's struggles with life in their own way when you're young. And it's, it's tough. But I think I was 11 when The Breakfast Club was my favorite movie, and I thought John Bender was super cool. As I got older, I realized he's a fucking dick. (laughs) I, like, modeled part of my teenage personality off of him, which I regret heavily. But I I spent a lot of time uh, being sick as a kid. Yeah, I had asthma, and I, I had a cold, I felt like, all the time. And one of my hospital stays when I was a little kid... I remember I really wanted my Breakfast Club VHS, which I think I had gotten for my birthday. So my mom went home and she got my Breakfast Club VHS. And then they wheeled in the TV VCR on a cart into my uh, hospital room. You get to like use those for a certain amount of time until they go to like the next patient. And I remember just watching the Breakfast Club in the hospital and it bringing me a lot of comfort. And then the, I remember the doctor was really cool. Like he came in and he watched some of it with me <laughs> on <Nice>. his shift. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And he was talking to me about it. And he was like, yeah, he, he was telling me how it, like he really liked the janitor character. And I never really considered the, much about the janitor character. But he was saying like how he thought that guy was interesting because all the kids thought they were better than him. But like in that movie, the janitor kind of has the last laugh in a lot of ways. Uh, Carl? What? Can I ask you a question? Sure. How does one become a janitor? You want to be a janitor? No, I just want to know how one becomes a janitor because Andrew here is very interested in pursuing a career in the custodial arts. Oh, really? You guys think I'm just some untouchable peasant, sir? Peon? Yeah. Maybe so. Falling a broom around after shitheads like you for the last eight years, I've learned a couple of things. I look through your letters, look through your lockers. I listen to your conversations. You don't know that, but I do. I am the eyes and ears of this institution, my friends. By the way, that clock's 20 minutes fast. (laughs) Anyway, Breakfast Club definitely reminds me of my childhood and my many days spent being sick and overnight stays in the hospital, which I had a lot. Yeah, those are for sure a uh, uh, classic staple of the 80s and, and, and of my childhood as well. So this movie, 
Weird Science was released on August 2nd, 1985. So I'm going to take us back to that time. You know I love to do this, Jonathan. I want to talk to you guys about some movies that were in theater around the same time. And we're going to do it in the trivia edition. So I'm going to give you guys some clues about movies that were in theaters at or around the same time as Weird Science. I think they were in theaters at the same time, but there might have been a little bit of overlap where one came out right after the other. I'm going to give you guys clues. If you know it, say the title and you'll get a point. We'll see who has the most movie knowledge here between Ryer and Jonathan. Thank God Steve is not here, dude. He would have <laughs> shit all over me on this one. Last this... time you and him tied on Camp Nowhere, you, yeah. and, you and Steve tied. Yeah, but he kind of gave me the last one to let me tie. He should have won. What a nice guy. I know, right? All right, here's the first clue. Paul Rubens. Paul Rubin. Um, oh, duh. Um, fuck, oh, Pee-wee Herman. Uh, Pee-wee, yeah. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yep. You got it, Jonathan. I used to have a Pee-wee doll when I was a kid <laughs> that, like, you pull the string and it says the quote. Like, my parents hated me for this dude like <laughs> like they wanted to find reasons to throw that thing away <laughs> no that doll was cool we had the urkel doll at my household it was yeah. my brother's like favorite toy the urkel doll it was like the same model yeah like, the fingers were like pointing right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we just reskinned it yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right next clue mel gibson Post-apocalyptic. Mad Max. Close. You are almost correct, Ryan. Fury Road. Uh, Thunderdome. No. 1985, not 2015. Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> 30 years too early. What, what was the last one? I was one close. What was the last one you said, Ryan? Thunderdome. That's it. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Welcome to the Thunderdome, bitch. <laughs> All right, next clue for the next movie. Great Scott. Oh, Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Jonathan got it first. Might have been a Skype delay, but I heard Jonathan (laughs) first. The next one, Michael J. Fox. Teen Wolf. Boom. Damn, that was quick. He's killing you, Ryer. I know. All right, the next one is... Just trying to shake up the competition here. (laughs) The next one is a fantasy movie with Tom Cruise. Legend? Legend is correct. We got to do a podcast on Legend. I know Steve's been bugging me about that one. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, I haven't watched it in maybe 25 years. Legend isn't great, but it looks cool. You ever see that 80s, like, devil figure it's actually tim curry and a ton of makeup with the ginormous horns yeah that's from legend oh shit all right next one national lampoons vacation close so european vacation european vacation is correct it's all tied up surely the greatest vacation movie Really? Nah, Vegas vacation, right? <laughs> yeah, Vegas is way better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I like the original. I'm partial to the original. I and like Christmas. Some, some of the yellow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and don't go cheap on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Okay, next one. I don't know if you guys know this movie, so I'm going to give a few clues at once. 
Directed by Joe Dante, starring a young Ethan Hawke and a young River Phoenix. The Outsiders? Not The Outsiders. Sci-fi movie. Kids travel into space and meet some aliens. I have no idea what this is. Alright, this is a movie called Explorers, which is kind of like a, a Flight of the Navigator kind of movie. I love Flight of the Navigator. Where like kids have like some sophisticated technology. In this case, they go to space and they meet some aliens who are just like goofy. It's kind of silly. It's alright. I mean, rest in peace, River Phoenix. Alright, last one. This determines the winner. It's a horror movie that was remade in 2011 with Colin Farrell. Vampires. Uh, Fright Night? Fright Night is correct. Boom. Fright Night. Out of boy, Ryer. Good job, Ryer. You come out one on top. Woohoo! Sorry, I probably just peeked there. <laughs> All right, well, now that we have uh, gone back in time to 1985, let's discuss the movie itself Weird Science. Ryer, how does Weird Science open? All right, so it opens up with uh, our two main characters. There's Gary, he's. Blonde, lanky, awkward as hell, has a little bit of acne going on, and when I looked up the actor, um, he's played by Anthony Michael Hall, I didn't realize, like, who he was nowadays, like, have y'all seen the new Halloween movie, Halloween Kills? No, I, I was told it was awful, but I know that he's in it. I mean, it's decent, but he plays, like, the little boy from the original movie all grown up, and, like, I don't see any resemblance at all of Anthony Michael Hall as a teenager in his adult form. It, it just blew my mind when I looked him up. Does he still have that atrocious lisp? No, it, it's gone away. Oh, that's good. Probably hired a good vocal coach. I mean, he's done some pretty good transformations. To me, he was unrecognizable as the villain in Edward Scissorhands because like, he bulked up pretty heavily. I mean, he's a good actor, so legitimately, I think. I think he was cast in those early days as kind of a similar character in the John Hughes movies, but I think he, he has some range. And I think he shows a little bit of it in this movie as well, which we'll get to. But go ahead, continue, Ryan. Okay, and uh, so the second main character, it's Wyatt. He's just an average looking teenager i mean both of these actors are like in peak puberty but you know he doesn't seem as awkward until he opens his mouth and starts speaking i mean his voice it just fluctuates from highs to lows constantly by the way why are we wearing bras on our heads ceremonial so Gary and Wyatt, they're standing in the doorway of the high school gym, and there's about, I don't know, 20 or 30 girls all dressed out. They're all gymnasts, I guess. I mean, this was the first thing that I saw on screen that was, uh, I, I kind of questioned. Like, 
do high schools have like that big of a gymnastics program i i've never seen that in real life I, I don't know how they do it in california or other states but you know here in raleigh here in north carolina i've, I've never seen anything like that you bring up an interesting point i have no idea <laughs> uh, what do you think of their personalities i mean they they have pretty distinct personalities yet both maintain like the nerdiness i i think wyatt is more on like the uh, the nervous unsure of himself end. and then uh, gary has like a weird confidence but he's like never quite cool like he's just confidently a dork you know what i mean yeah i completely agree and yeah they're kind of girl crazy at this point they're standing in this doorway and they're just kind of fantasizing about what they would like to do with these girls. Yeah, Wyatt says he'd like to take a shower with them, and and then Gary says that he'd like to drink and dance and have a party, and then he points out two girls and says that he would like to date both of those girls. And it's kind of funny because it's kind of like foreshadowing, except for, I mean they literally just laid down the whole outline of the movie like everything they're talking about in this little scene is what plays out for the rest of the film mm. this is so beautiful you know it gary do you know what i would like to do shower with them then bang we hit the city baby dead on for little drinks, little nightlife, little dancing. We throw a huge party, I mean huge party. Everybody's invited, women everywhere. All these girls, they're all there. Naked bodies Gary. everywhere. They all know Gary. Name. What? Nobody likes us. Nobody. Why are you messing with the fantasy? We know about the reality. Don't ruin a fantasy, okay? And then, we're hip, man. We're popular. We're revered. Man. We're studs. When the smoke clears, right? And then Iron Man shows up and pantses both of them. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Jonathan, have you ever been pantsed publicly? Oh, man. I was debating to share this story or not. <laughs> so, fifth grade. Oh, I knew you back then. Yeah. There was basketball team tryouts at school. I came back to school after that day for the tryouts. And uh, there were a bunch of bullies, I guess. I don't know. Maybe there's probably like one instigator problem, probably. But um, anyways, it was like, oh, pants whoever's birthday's in january and i'm like oh my birthday's in january get him and then they fucking chased me down and pants me and then like i ran home crying damn dude i was wearing like whitey tighties at the time you know and it was like oh crap dude there was probably like i mean boxer briefs didn't exist at the time you know <laughs> and uh it was pretty embarrassing <laughs> i'm sorry to hear that i never heard that story Jonathan. Yeah, I, I didn't really like share it that was much was tadell involved <laughs> He was there, but I don't think he was involved. 
He like, but he might have been one of the kids chasing me though, for sure, because I put up a good run, like before. <laughs> Corey, do you remember um, here in North Carolina? We used to call it being shanked. Yes, I hate that. And you'd be like, "What the hell? Shanked means getting stabbed, right?" Jonathan, back uh, me up on this. Yeah, absolutely. If you get yeah. shanked, that means you just got a knife in you. Yeah, you just got like somebody's prison keistered knife like, yeah. stuck in you is getting shanked yeah <laughs> i hated that term yeah i mean i completely agree i don't hear it said anymore but for some reason in like middle school and high school that's what people called it getting shanked getting shanked well jonathan we talked about gary and wyatt they're a couple of dorks they have a sleepover much like we used to have. In fact, I used to have these with Ryer all the time as well. I stayed at Ryer's house like every weekend, basically. Mm-hmm. But what do they do in this sleepover? I mean, they're watching a Frankenstein movie restored in color. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, just to kind of speak to their character a little bit more. So these guys are 15 years old. Gary is trying to figure out how to shave with no need to. Right. Um, he doesn't even have like a peach fuzz mustache yet. No. And can we also mention how freaking horny Gary is? <laughs> like, dude, he is like the horniest person in this entire movie. It's pretty ridiculous. And and Wyatt is like so reserved and and like there are so many scenes where he's sitting in the bathroom hiding. I think he has like some severe IBS, and so that's like his safe space yeah. <laughs> it's like hiding in the bathroom anyways so yeah so they're having their sleepover gary's uh i'm sorry wyatt's parents are out of town and so these guys are just chilling and they start watching a frankenstein movie where dr frankenstein brings a person to life and gary says you know what why don't we do this you have a computer and you have this technology <laughs> And so you have the technology. I've seen it. Yeah. So they uh, they decide to simulate a girl so they can, from what Wyatt says, play chess with her. <laughs> Brain of a dead man waiting to live again in a body I made with my own hands. You know, it's not a bad idea. What? 15 minutes, the storm should be at its height. Making a girl. Actually making a girl. Just like Frankenstein. Except cuter. You're serious? Yes. Look me in the eyes. Do I look serious? You're crazy! Crazy am I? So they start like designing this female of their, of their dreams, really, you know, like there's a certain amount of like intelligence and figure and boobs. What she's got. Yeah. The boob size. Dexterity. <laughs> Anything Constitution. More- <laughs> charisma. All the classic D&D stats you need to create a person. <laughs> right. And, and, and according to uh, Gary, anything bigger than a handful, you're asking for a sprained tongue. <laughs> so I'm like, those are the kind of comments that like he's so horny in this movie. It's ridiculous. It really works, though, for Anthony Michael Hall's delivery. Like, I think I think his his comedy is is the best bits of comedy in the movie. And I, I want to talk about a particular moment later on 
but there's there's some good moments from him specifically like he really saves the movie and it it really goes to show of like why the tv show didn't work because i watched a little bit of the tv show which came out in 1994 so nine years later totally different era right 80s and 90s was a huge leap in decades i think more so than any of like modern decades there's a big difference in style and culture between 80s and 90s yeah yeah two totally different realms like 80s couldn't be pulled into the 90s you could pull 80s into the 2020s sure and probably get away with something right but you couldn't pull 80s into 90s it was too close so in the 90s series the actor that plays Gary, who's Anthony Michael Hall, just really lacks the charisma and charm. And no offense, dude, if you're listening, like, I'm sure you did your best, but like, Anthony Michael Hall, in my opinion, is kind of like a powerhouse of a teen actor. So it is hard to, to replicate that. He just has like a quick wit about him, and uh, it really comes through in this movie. No, I'm not talking about digging up a dead girl, Wyatt. I'm talking about your system, idiot, your computer. Okay, look, you know how you're always talking about how you can simulate all that stuff on your computer? You know? What's the difference? Why can't we simulate a girl? I don't know. I, I guess I could, but why? It's two-dimensional on the screen. It's, it's not flesh and blood, Gary. Well, I know that, but, you know, we can, we can use it. Why? We can ask it questions. We can, we can put it in real-life sexual situations and see how it reacts. You're like, we're sick to manage shit. You'd love it. Well, what about your girl in, um, Canada? She was in Canada. This girl's no morals. You know, I don't, I don't like that on a girl. I, it's rough having those kind of relationships. You'll see. <clears throat> anyway, get to work. But they do create a girl, and I think the intention here originally is to like have a simulated girl inside the computer that they can just like ask questions. See, like a kind of a an AI. Is that yeah. is that the angle? That, that was exactly the angle. Yeah, they say that she's going to be two dimensional, not flesh and blood. Yeah, they end up, like, putting bras on their heads and do some weird wiring and hook up a, like, Barbie doll and uh, try and create it into actual physical 3D flesh and blood human. Okay, that's, um, about all we can do with my stuff. I can't believe this shit. I can't believe this. Did you get a free toaster with this, too? Gary, it's smarter than you, Okay. The problem is, this is a lame idea, okay? It's not a lame idea. The problem is your computer's a wimp and we need a lot more power than this. That's the problem. What do you suggest? You know what else I feel? So there's this scene where they quote, unquote, hack into the mainframe of the power company <laughs> where they're at. Is that and what it is? The power yeah, company? yeah. That's that, that room that has like all these dials spinning and lights are flashing. Oh, like the, the, and the data gu- tapes? Like yeah. The, the tape? Yeah, and the guy's like, oh shit, and panic. Like, I feel like uh, that's where the Simpsons got the Homer Simpson scene from. Like, if, if Homer's working in his office, right, at the nuclear power plant, and, like, I, I feel like there's some correlation between that. I, I see that scene there. But uh, it, it's so ridiculous, dude. They go in... There's no internet back then, so they go into this, like, electrical, weird dimension. They go into, like, a Windows screensaver world, right? It's so <laughs> weird. So weird. It's just, like... It's, like, at that time in the 80s, it was just, like... Technology, technology, technology. Look where we're at. 
I like how anything is possible with a computer back in those days. Like yeah. because it was a technology that no one understood, therefore it could do anything basically. Right? It's very Star Trekky. Like you, you can like hack into the mainframe and get power. Like what does that mean? They're like drawing more electricity. Like it's it's such bullshit. You could it, it would never work, dude. Like you you can't just like call up the power company and say, hey, I need more power at this house. Like it would literally what they were trying to do would blow out circuit breakers <laughs> and and fuses all over town. Should it have even gotten past the very first one leaving the power company? That's like, right. I have an electrician dude, on this podcast. Dude, I mean, all, all of the, the, the <laughs> wiring that supports this kind of power would have just blown up and disintegrated for what they were trying to pull into this house. It is just absurd. And this isn't intentional, Jonathan, but you seem to be on a lot of podcasts that relate to like uh, electricity, like yeah. where there's like, they like, can... And uh, small soldiers, they have to like yeah. go up to the power line and like unscrew it with a fucking wrench or some shit. And like, yeah, they short circuited the two transformers in uh, small soldiers. Like, right. dude, that would have just blown up and like shot oil everywhere. <laughs> like, it would have been horrible. Uh, the The amount of absurdity that goes into movies is just is just unreal to me and it, it just goes from people not understanding electricity oh this movie takes it to a whole new motherfucking level in absurdity this movie makes no fucking sense none at all now it doesn't have to well do you know if drawing that much power would make your kitchen flip upside down and your dog be on the ceiling <laughs> does that sound science does that has that ever happened to you jonathan when you like plug something in the wrong Wrong <laughs> yeah you know like when when you have a, a wall plug and one side has a larger slot and the other side has the small slot oh so yeah. if you get those backwards then dog it, upside you, down yeah yeah oh. you might send yourself into your tv <laughs> i think this movie is like more self-aware than its contemporaries than other john hughes movies like it doesn't take itself seriously and there's basically no rules, right? But it's fun, though. It really is fun, like, imagining, like, wow, this could have actually happened to these kids. Like, it, it, it's still fun, even though it's ridiculous. It is. It is fun. It's like when we talked about the movie Hackers. You guys weren't on for that podcast, but there's a lot of, like, traveling through cyberspace. And it's like this mystical thing that, like I talked about earlier, no one understands. So... If, on the computer screen, you're going through tunnels, and if you go the wrong way, you see a skeleton, and it's like, oh shit, let me type something in. Okay, close the door, let me go through this other gateway. And then now you have whatever the computer gives you that you need to create a life form. Yeah, I, I don't think just typing code is very cinematic, so I think they tried to portray it in like this 3D, you know, edgy going through hallways opening doors way but i mean it's it's just so cheesy like i mean everybody knows that's not how computers work but i mean back then i didn't have a computer you know back then, so I no guess one knew shit yeah it inspired people to get a computer in, in 85 coding was literally ones and zeros and that's it there was no like software development programs there was nothing for you to do except for to create the program and code that program on your own if you wanted to make a development program. But things escalate and escalate. You know, the world gets flipped upside down for a few minutes here. 
furniture is destroyed. They try to smash the computer, but it has too much power, so the baseball bat just shatters into a million pieces. And eventually, Lisa is born. She's alive! Alive! So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? Now, Jonathan, how would you describe Lisa? Oh, what a babe. Like, really? I mean, she was just so beautiful. She like really a supermodel. Yeah. I mean, she was not just like, oh, that's a sexy lady. Like, she really was beautiful, like, in all aspects. And and I don't think they could have found anybody else to fit that part more perfectly than she did. Between her personality and and looks and the way that she conducted the role throughout the movie. Um, I, did they even try, do anybody know if they even tried to audition anybody else for that role? I mean, I'm sure they did, but any other big names? Yeah, there was a few people that auditioned. The one that I remember was, uh, uh Jenny from Forrest Gump. I always forget her name. Oh yeah. But you know, the, I think they got the perfect woman for that era because she's super eighties. And then like the, this is going to sound dumb and like superficial, but the British accent, I think, adds a lot, right? It, it, there's like a foreign aspect to her. She's not like, she's not from around here. I think th- she's exotic. I don't know. Maybe it's just because well, I think British accents you, are cool. You know, to to kind of go along with that, the whole like new wave of the 80s was totally peaking like at that time too. And like, like Robert Downey Jr.'s um, haircut and the way and his buddies haircut and their clothing style and all that kind of stuff was totally in that new wave era. And, and she fit along with like all of these weird, like eighties stereotypes that were going on, right? Like the, the leather and and chains thing from the eighties and like the new wave, but then like the classy, super bright pink dress kind of thing and massive, huge hair, like, and then like this outfit when she's, quote born she's wearing like that this cut off sweatshirt and high pants and like a bikini bottom over the bottom pants and like i don't know weird shit right like yeah. totally 80s and like every single look like she pulled off to a t like i i don't think anybody else could have played her and kelly lebrock is her name she's pretty uh pretty different looking nowadays though <laughs> a lot of plastic surgery yeah I, right, so, sorry about that, Kelly, but just not holding up. I mean, the 80s were a long time ago. You got to give her a break. <laughs> a lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah, as a kid, I wasn't very attracted to her. She just wasn't my type. I actually preferred the girl who played Lisa on the TV show. Oh, okay. To me, she had more of like a baby face. She was a little curvier. But, I mean, now, looking back and watching this movie, I mean... She was definitely that beautiful model type that, I mean, this capture of her in this era, it's it's just, it's gorgeous to go back and watch her. Vanessa I mean, she... Angel was the uh, woman in the 90s series, by the way. She was also the, the lead woman in Kingpin, which came out in 96. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Oh wow. She right. she has a totally different look. She looks super 90s as where this one looks super 80s. So yeah. Yeah, she is equally as attractive. 
the uh, um what's her name vanessa angel yeah oh man yeah kingpin was great <laughs> <laughs> it is dude puts a smile on my face yeah for sure now ryer of course when lisa is born they immediately get her naked is that what you would have done um i don't know i think i would actually be a little more awkward than that i wouldn't take her straight to the shower but maybe knowing that she was a computer program and I don't know, maybe my mora- morality would have went out the window. Maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell these days uh, what I would have done back then. We None of us can lie. We would be doing exactly the same thing at that awkward puberty age of 14, 15 and a beautiful grown lady says, let's go take a shower. I'm still in there with my jeans on yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah, I might put on more clothes. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you got a jacket I can borrow? <laughs> well, I don't know if I would have went in there with another guy at 15 because I was pretty insecure. So, I don't know. It's it's. I'd have gone in there with you, Ryer. We could have held hands. It would have worked out. <laughs> Let's do this together, bro. There is a weird angle to this movie where it's like thruple mm-hmm. is, is a thing because like she is theirs, right? And then the two other guys, the the bully guys or whatever, they want her to share as well. There's a lot of like sharing of Lisa here. Yeah, and I mean, that's not something I would have done. I was raised Mormon, so like I was a little bit awkward when it came to sexuality when I was a teenager. That's right. You believe one guy multiple women. Not Exactly. It's the other way around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was kind of weird like if you watch the movie later on towards the end, um, you start picking up on the vibes where there's a scene where Lisa like actually makes out with Wyatt, which is, I don't think it would fly today. Like you couldn't have a grown woman making out with a 15 year old kid. Like remember like in big, we were (laughs) debating kind of that same similar mentality. Yeah. At least there were two adults (sighs) in big, but mentally, Right. He was a kid. Right. So it was like really weird, right? But she didn't know. It's yeah. different. Yeah. But this one, yep. she does know. But she's also very young. Oh, is they, she's also only like three days old. Yeah, but, yeah, but she's like 12 hours old. old. Yeah. But, so like, who's the weirdo here? Yeah, I know, right? But <laughs> she's she, a baby. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Look at John Hughes and babies, man. But she actually becomes really like a support in character development for Gary, not so much like romantically involved with him at any point as compared to what she was with Wyatt, like her and Wyatt actually made out, you know? Yeah. They kissed long and and hard. Yeah. And they were, uh, doing women's aerobics (laughs) in one of the scenes. That's, that's what they called it anyways. But she never, even though there was like this weird thruple thing going on, she never engaged in anything beyond what she did with Wyatt, with Gary. Right. So I know we're a little bit ahead and I'm going to circle us back here in a second, but she does make out with him. And then there's a strong implication of sex, but it's, it's extinguished a little bit later, a few scenes later. Yeah. Because she basically says like, all right, let's, let's go do whatever you want to do now. And it kind of like cuts and it's like the next morning. So it implies that he does have sex with her, but then she says later, like, oh, I started doing my gymnastics routine for you and you passed out because, you know, they were out drinking. So she doesn't actually go all the way with them in this. 
but I think that she might like if she had if this movie had gone on longer like I think the option was there and they might have taken that option if things weren't happening so fast that they had to take care of like you know the Chet and the party situation they you know they're moving along here in the story and a lot of things happen very quickly if it was a little bit slower it might have happened but the TV show addresses this in episode one. The TV show is, again, in the 90s, it's a different time, right? So she says, I know what you guys want to do. And she says, maybe when you turn 18. So they actually just address that straight away in the show. She's like, you can't fuck me. Sorry. <laughs> Message. <laughs> Message. Message. Oh, the 90s. I think the best part of the movie happens pretty early on. So Lisa is born. She is magic. She can do basically anything. There are no rules in this movie, especially when it comes to Lisa. She is an all-powerful being. She is their I Dream of Genie-esque woman, right? She, she shows up. She's like, all right, guys, whatever you want to do, let's do it. But actually, first she says, I want to go to a party. And by that, she means she wants to go out drinking, I guess. So she kind of like forces them along. They're a little skittish and they go to a bar called the candy bar. Right, Jonathan? Yes. And I, this is probably way super stereotypical, but I was thinking because it's a black bar that like, that's why it's called a candy bar. Cause there's chocolate folks. Inside. <laughs> that's where you come get the, get that sweet chocolate. Right. But do like the eighties totally played up on all of that. Like so many stereotypes in this entire movie of the eighties though, like the, the culture in the bar and like the dorky ass, like white teen suits that they were wearing. And like Lisa's like, no, 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 those, they're not going to work. And she magically updates their clothes and, and it's like, all right, now you guys are ready to go party. Their you know? hair changes too. And oh it's yeah. It's changed for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And they Small finally touch. like are looking a little more respectable and like, they're not so like runt of the litter nerd kids anymore. You know, like she really helped them elevate. But the bar, the the candy bar scene, it, it was it's kind of funny. And like I could totally picture myself in in their shoes at their age. She's like, "All right, well, let's go mingle." And they're like, "Yeah, no, we don't we don't want to mingle," because it's it's probably very intimidating. There's a lot of folks in there that they didn't have anything in common with, like at all. You know, I mean, they're 15 year old white kids. They yeah, this bar there. is like for middle aged men. You know, like yeah, bars have a vibe. You know, yeah. like a bar is like a certain kind of group, a certain kind of person goes to certain bars. At least that was my experience when I went to bars. It's been a long time. Yeah. But, you know, there's like the bars for like the younger rowdy guys that like watch sports. And then there's like the older like bar flies that like are a fucking alcoholics. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this one is like it's like a middle aged, mostly black blues bar i think absolutely that's that's exactly what you would call it for sure it's funny because like everything that they go to do throughout this movie lisa is just pushing them to come out of their shell and and get them to like extrovert a little bit and and stop relying on themselves and and the boys actually split up in this at this scene and gary goes 
and starts to socialize with these other this group of guys and they got the the one guy one like puerto rican or cuban guy or something in there like did you see that guy's laugh it's so funny <laughs> that dude's the janitor in the breakfast club yeah so he's yeah. one of john hughes's guys you know he likes to recycle those actors yeah for sure it's so funny just the, everything about this whole scene and this is where anthony michael hall's comedy like starts to range because he he plays that he's drunk they tore him up on some old nasty cheap bourbon and then he starts talking about the 13 year old girl that he loves <laughs> that he used to love when he was in eighth grade yeah when he yeah yeah last year <laughs> yeah because yeah. yeah they're 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 young high schoolers that's right fast man let me tell you my story, man. Last year, I was insane for this crazy little eighth grade bitch. Okay? Crazy? Insane? Insane? Crazy? I was nuts for the woman, man. Now, you got to believe me. I'm saying, I'm telling the truth here. I'm speaking to you. I mean, I was nuts for the girl. And what did to me was these big titties she had. For a 13-year-old girl, man. She wouldn't have had to worry about no titties for the rest of her life, boy. You know, she was set and she was looking good, son. That's the truth, baby. I called every night for like a month. I mean, I'm talking devotion, man. Every damn night? Every night, Mitch. I ain't playing with you. On the telephone? This boy talking about on the telephone, man. Explain it to you. Yeah, he, he gets really urban with it. I don't know if this would like really fly in a movie these days, but uh, I, I enjoyed watching it. I think it's fine. I mean, he's basically doing his like Richard Pryor stick that he yeah he called on that a little bit in the Breakfast Club to a lesser degree, but like he really goes full force here. My mentality, and this is just like my own theory here, is that like off screen. They got him high, and he got high and turned black, you know? Like, I, I know in the movie, in the text of the movie, it's, like, alcohol. Like, he, he drinks, and that's when he changes. But I don't know. I like to think, like, they got him high. Because it's kind of like a cut. He takes a drink, and he says, see you guys in the emergency room. And then, like, when it comes back, he's, like, all bluesed out. Like, let me tell you this story about a girl I knew. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100% there. And, and I think it's just kind of like... As an actor, he's doing, he's showing range, right? But like in the story, I think it's just a product of the culture that he's now been introduced to. And this has become acceptable to him because of the multiple influences that he's had now. But, but none of the guys there even had a problem with it either though. Like they were all of a sudden all best friends, you know? And there's the one guy that he goes, every damn night but like that part has stuck with me like my whole life dude it's so funny so like anybody says anything to me like every night they say oh every night i go every damn night in the family jewels <laughs> yeah it's so good oh man oh you didn't hang up on her the chick with those big big titties man you, uh -huh. hey, you know now here's the capper you know what the bitch did to me lay it on Check uh. this shit out. Listen to what she did to me. She need you in the nuts and called him faggot in front of everybody. No, she did what? Bitch, need your nuts? Bitch, need my nuts, bitch. I'm not playing with you. In the family jewel? In the family jewel, man. Worst oh, pain man. there is. Broke my heart in two. You broke more than your heart. Yeah, yeah man. You don't like me, baby. You can forget that other one. 
you got this fine jewel sitting right over here by you. But like th- this whole story is just so funny, man. So <laughs> funny. I think this is really the highlight of the movie and it's pretty early on. Uh, it's just it's just so watchable and funny. Like Anthony Michael Hall carries it. He's yeah. he's amazing. He's hilarious, dude. He's almost like underrated and maybe that's just for me personally cuz I never quite like respected him the way I should. Because I always saw him as Brian in The Breakfast Club, which is kind of like a subdued, doesn't have any big scenes necessarily. I mean, he has like the big crying scene in The Breakfast Club, but like he's got range, man. If you watch all his movies, he does have the range. It it is hard to play that timid role, though, you know, like uh, who's your dad, Mr. Rogers? Uh, No, Mr. Mr. Johnson. Johnson. (laughs) Like totally naive, you know, it's got to be difficult to even play that role. If it's not your natural role, you know? And Anthony Michael Hall said that he actually improv'd this whole scene. So, I mean, it it just definitely goes to show how good of an actor he was at this point in time. I like that, too. Like, John Hughes, like, trusts his actors enough to, like, just kind of, like, let them do their thing. I mean, he writes scripts so fast. I think he wrote this script in, like, two days. So he writes scripts so fast that I think... He actually relies on them to bring a lot yeah. when they start filming. Like, have fun with it. And I think that's cool. Everyone that's talked about John Hughes that works with him regularly, I mean, outside of people that do business with him, but the actors that work with him regularly, they tend to say a lot like that, you know, he's he gives you a lot of free range. He's like the exact kind of director you want to work with. He's hands-on but not pushy. Like, he's, he's exactly what you'd want, I think. On the business side, he was a little bit of a pain in the ass, apparently, but, you know, you gotta deal with these movie studio fuckers. I'm sure you have to be. Everybody's trying to get paid. Uh, I want to back it up just a little bit. On the ride to the bar, they come up with a name for Lisa. And it's supposedly uh, Gary's ex-girlfriend's name. It's, it's the girl that kicked him in the family jewels. Exactly. But the way they actually got the name Lisa was from the Apple computer Lisa, which is named after Steve Jobs' daughter. There was a computer called the Lisa? Yeah. It was like one of the first computers that um, had a GUI graphical user interface. Um, oh, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah, it cost about ten grand. It was a, a financial failure. There was a, a picture of Steve Jobs in a frame, Easter egged in the movie too. Oh. I don't remember exactly what scene, but it's in there. Nice. Yeah, it was like back in his like early 80s, late 70s with the big beard kind of picture. Yeah. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, so that's funny to, to learn that about Lisa. So the boys get pretty wasted. And they head back home. Lisa is, you know, kind of taking care of them. But Ryer, they encounter Chet, who is Wyatt's older brother. Now, you have an older brother. Would you say that Stu was like your Chet back when you were in high school? Well, he was like, he's similar to Chet as in he was kind of a bully. But he was like the opposite type of personality. Um... You know, Chet is kind of militant. He's flat top wearing. And my brother, I mean, he was like gothic with spikes, like spiky hair that 
you know, we're about a foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, pretty much the opposite. Yeah, Stu went through many styles. Can we talk about Stu for a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Stu is Ryer's brother, who was our my friend in high school. And, uh, we, you know, we did a lot of, like, skating and video stuff with him. And uh, Stu is actually going to be on this podcast someday. For years, we've been holding off on doing The Crow because Stu is going to be on, and we just haven't worked it out because of the scheduling yet. I do need to reach out to him. But, uh, you see, I was always the oldest, Ryer. I know Jonathan is also the oldest. So uh, could you relate to Wyatt in some aspects of this with Stu? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you know, he blackmailed Wyatt a couple times throughout the movie. And, I mean, my brother did that all the time. And, you know, if I didn't give in to his demands, I mean, he would just go straight to my parents and, like, rat me out. So, um, yeah, definitely very similar. I remember the sibling rivalry being very strong with you and your siblings, Ryer. Like, there was... I would be like, yeah, let's let's have Stu hang out with us sometimes, and you'd be like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he picked on me pretty hard, um, and I mean, he's he's big, he's loud, he's a character. Yeah, I, I guess the best way to describe him is a character, and he's always evolving too, so you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> That's right. Right now, he's on his uh his rapper phase. Who knows what's coming next, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, is he old enough? With his age, is it a phase? Maybe he's settled in, Ryer. Maybe he has settled in, but we'll see. Well, enough about suicide. Let's talk about Chet, Jonathan. Bill Paxton? Is this his first, like, major... That's not even a major role, but is this his first notable role? I don't know. You know, he was... He, he had a small part in the Terminator. Uh, aliens came out in the 80s later. Yeah. I mean, he's he's had a legendary career, obviously, but uh, I think he he plays Chet kind of perfectly. Like Chet is just such a shithead; you just hate him immediately, yeah. and he he has this laugh that it just really solidifies how much of a piece of shit he is. You stood, buttwad. For me, know what time it is? Um, two. Time to pay the fiddler. Um, I was kind of counting on you to be human about this. Here's the bottom line, Wyatt. I'm telling mom and dad everything. I'm even considering making up some shit. All right, Chet, name your price. $175.00, cash. New bills crisp and clean in my wallet by 7 a.m. Thank you. Hey, what are big brothers for? <laughs> Cold blooded shit. He's an asshole. Look at his haircut. Anybody would have It's that horrible, awkward laugh where the person breathes inward and rattles their vocal cords just to make a really fucking obnoxious sound like it's one of those sounds that you just want to take a baseball bat to his head like it's just it's so bad and like his facial expressions like everything about him just exuberates that he's a total piece of shit like fuck this guy dude like this, <laughs> some of his facial expressions are just so huge yeah they're wild like he can just 
I don't know, make his his eyes open up to like two inches apart. And like the, the way he holds his mouth, I don't know how he could hold like character for a lot of this stuff. Like he's just so extreme. Side note, I met him several times in Ojai. Uh, he lived in Ojai. Oh, hi, Mark. No way. Out here, which is a, a small town. It's uh, relatively close to where Corey and I yeah. reside. Under was, what circumstances did you meet Bill Paxton? I uh, he went. He would go to this restaurant like every Wednesday that my girlfriend at the time worked at, and so I would go over there and get free food and like, oh, what's up, Bill? You know. And uh, anyways, wow. Yeah. He was awesome. he was a regular at that restaurant. Yeah, small little Italian restaurant. Yeah, that's got to be pretty cool about being in California. I'm sure you'll have plenty of stories like this where there's some famous actor that you're somehow loosely connected with their soul in certain areas. It is true, Ryer. Like, out here, you either have met celebrities or you know them or someone you know knows them. And that's that's pretty common, I think. Everyone knows someone who knows a celebrity, I think. Drew Barrymore used to go there, too. Oh, yeah, every, Drew? Like every month, yeah. She she had a big, beautiful house in, in Ojai. With Tom Green? She helped with Tom Green ever? <laughs> no, I never saw him. I wanted to. like we Back in our skating days, dude, Like we were obsessed with Tom yeah, Green. Yeah, we kind of like, like I would have loved him. to meet him. <laughs> I mean, Ryer, you know Stuicide, so you do have that. Oh, yeah, I do have that. So, um, yeah, I know all the celebrities. <laughs> all the ones in North Carolina. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got a song with P.D. Pablo. Do you know who that is? Yeah. Take your <laughs> shirt off and uh, wave it around your head like a helicopter. Exactly. <laughs> North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. So just to kind of speak to the, the dickishness of Chet, like... He wakes up in the morning, comes to the kitchen. He's wearing just a towel, like fresh out of the shower. Sees this like beautiful breakfast made that Lisa made for the boys and was like, oh man, that looks great. And then takes an egg and throws it up to the ceiling, cracks the egg and lands in the frying pan and goes, here, make yourself some dickweed. And then like walks out, you know? And like, I, I feel like I probably myself would have done that or <laughs> could have done that at some point in my life. But like, ah, I, it would have been fun to do, but I'm not that much. It's, of it's like a cruel action, but it's it, when you're a kid, like you don't really look at it from that perspective. I don't think it's kind of like funny and cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Trying to be the cool guy. Right. But he's like a grown man. Like he's in his twenties, you know? <laughs> and then, and then we get the scene where, where Wyatt tries to walk out. And uh, he's wearing Lisa's cutoff sweatshirt and and panties. Just prior to this, a few times, they show him wearing the gray sweater, but they intentionally don't show from the like top of the chest down. So you never know that it's her sweater that he's wearing, but he's wearing that gray cutoff sweater. Mm-hmm. And so then you finally get that big reveal that Chet's like, holy shit dude you're wearing chicks panties like my dad's gonna have a stroke when he hears about this good morning turd brain hi jet now make yourself one dickweed 
You like your panties. It's a joke, Jay. You know, it's all... That's not a joke. That is a severe behavioral disorder. Those are women's underpants. I mean, the next thing you know, you'll be wearing a bra on your head. And then we get the only scene of nudity in this whole movie right there where Bill Paxton shows his bare ass. That's not true. Now, I don't know where you watched this, Jonathan, but really? I saw a, quite a bit of nudity in this PG-13 movie. Dude, yes. are you serious? I, I watched it on Amazon and I didn't see one scene of it except for Bill Paxton's bare white ass. You must have been taking notes because there's quite a few titties in this movie. Yep. If they're not Lisa's, I don't care. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> why, Lisa? Why? But yeah, in this scene... Chet says, uh, the next thing you know, you'll be wearing a bra on your head. And Wyatt breaks the fourth wall, looks directly into the camera. And that's something that you saw in a lot of John Hughes films. And, you know, later on, like, Saved by the Bell did it every episode. But it's not something you see so much. So it, it's kind of like a, a trope that was uh, really popular in this era. Right. It's one of those things that I'm like glad is kind of like lost in time i mean maybe in a movie Same. like this it's okay or in a movie like heathers where there's like an inherent silliness to it it's okay to do that but i i don't really like the look at the camera stuff and it happens quite a few times in this movie i guess it's okay for this one though. i'll give it a pass yeah i think ferris bueller's day off like pulled it off pretty good and I liked it in Saved by the Bell. Like, Saved by the Bell was a, a big show for me when I was, you know, in the 90s. Same. There you are, Zach. I've been looking all over for I, you. You Time out! <laughs> Man, this is horrible. I just meant to get a car. If I don't find a way out of this, my life at Bayside is over. Time in. Oh, oh, Mr. Bell, Side note, I was just watching a show recently that actually does that. Not a lot, but tastefully. There's this new show on HBO called Winning Time about the Lakers from the 70s and 80s. And John C. Riley does it a few times. And it's pretty legit. It's done tastefully. I, I do like it fashion. in that show. Yeah. yeah. I've been watching it too. It's pretty oh, fucking nice. good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as Laker fans, yeah. I, I figured you would. Yeah, anyway, that's but, legit. All right, I'll give you that. And, you know, Deadpool, of course, is like the current popular movie where that's done a lot. Right. Yeah. It's also lifted from the comics, though. Totally justified. So they go to the mall with Lisa. I mean, they're, they're with her and they're kind of not at times, Jonathan. But, you know, they're, they're doing some shopping around the mall. We do get to see more of uh, Iron Man and uh, his friend, so we got Ian and Max. They dump a Slurpee, an Icy, on the heads of our two main characters. Not cool, huh? Not cool at all. And it's not a Slurpee, it's an Icy. Yeah, my bad. Let's, let's get that cleared <laughs> up right away. There's there's nothing more iconic in the early 80s and, and or uh, 80s and early 90s than an Icy, that big polar bear. Yeah. I I, I think one of the subtle touches of comedy in the movie that I love the most is after they get the icy dumped on their head they hit the banaka in their mouth like they're just trying to like somehow salvage the situation to still look cool <laughs> so he like hits banaka in his mouth 
That's I, that's kind of funny. I remember kids in school like you know stealing their parents' banaka or something and like spraying it, thinking they're all cool like all day long. Yeah, <laughs> they do it a lot, right? Yeah, when, like, like way kids. too much. I was one of those kids. <laughs> oh, dude, I would have tripped you on the playground for sure. <laughs> And then stole your binocular. Actually, I think I have a video of Corey spraying me in the eyes with binocula. Uh, yes, there is a video out there that exists of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. It's like alcohol. Yep. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, we, we were pretty reckless with our with our bodies back in those days. <laughs> we get this other scene where like where the boys are shopping for perfume, right? And then um, Lisa's out at this like really small shop with an old lady working the cash register and like shows her this like lacy see-through pair of underwear and is like, do you think a 15 year old boy would like these? And then like, (laughs) and then, and then she asks the lady, do you have a matching bra or something like that? And the lady's just like, you know what? I'm sick of your shit, dude. Like, I don't want anything to do with this lady. Like, it was just really, it was a really weird scene. (laughs) I mean, the angle of this whole thing is like, She's 25, she's beautiful, she's a supermodel, and she, quote, belongs to two 15-year-old boys. Yeah. I mean, it's odd. It, it's, uh, it is strange. Oh, it is for sure. But this, like, this old lady, you could totally tell she's just so old-fashioned. She's like, I, I don't even want to be talking to you about this. This is not the type of clothes we sell here. No, I like, know. Like, if you look at everything else in the background, they're all, like, soft pastel colored like women's suits and dresses and things like that like where the hell did she even come up with this like g-string lace butt floss (laughs) yeah like how she carries it over the register so it like is always in frame it's it's like look at this It's, it's just like one of the things about this movie they're just always trying to sexualize anything they can right and and they don't like hide away from the age gap thing which like a movie with less balls might you know obviously there's like it's weird kind of but it's like whatever nothing in this movie makes any fucking sense like she is 25 i guess but she's also like not a human being right she's like not real she's like a She's like a computer-made, 3D-printed woman. So, like, wh- what are the rules with that? You know, how are you going to pass a law based on that? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it still holds up. And I think because it's such a, a fantasy thing from the teenage perspective, it, it works. And, and you can't really knock it too much. But it's still weird. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's weird because, I guess... If you're outside of the movie, right, from a filmmaking perspective, from an objective perspective, a 25-year-old woman really did make out with a 15-year-old, right? They, they filmed that happen. His parents signed off on it. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yeah, pretty awkward. So there, there's a good, like, I think, cinematic moment where Lisa, like, walks through the mall and, like, she turns, like, every head she walks by. I think it's, like, kind of cool just to, like, show like her power over people right without even having to do anything right everyone looks at lisa and is in awe and you know the guys got the slurpee dumped on their head we talked about that but i think you know they get the last laugh in the end like they don't have to get like revenge on these guys just by like being with lisa is like revenge enough please come on hon we're running late honey 
Yeah, for sure. They um, have this sort of, of sense of status now because they're with her. They're not really like these dumpy little freshman nerds anymore. Um, right. They they now belong to a different social tier within high school realm. And based on that, they're going to have a big party. And a lot of this movie takes place at this big party. Kind of like how Scream, you know, a lot of it is within this one house. Uh, they're going to basically have all the cool kids over at their house. You know, kind of sponsored by Lisa here. Well, Ryer, why don't you lead us into it? Okay, so first Lisa goes over to Gary's house to let the parents know that they're going to a party. Gary tries to say that they're going to go to a movie, and Lisa says that they're going to a party. Um, And she has a really weird line... Where she says, you know, your average party, sex, drugs, rock and roll, chips, dips, chains, whips. You know, your basic high school orgy type of thing. Um, His parents are not having it. The dad stands up and says he's going to call the cops. Lisa pulls out a gun, um, points it right at the dad, and basically kidnaps the son. And on the way there, she puts the gun on Gary and squeezes the trigger and it was a water gun the whole time but it looks like it's a like a 45 or something so within this whole like family confrontation thing there's like one of the most awkward things that could ever come up for a 15 year old boy and his parents and they call it tossing off right i never tossed off anything yeah yeah (laughs) he's like i've never (laughs) tossed off never in my whole life and uh, Lisa had said, you know, uh, Gary's in the bathroom tossing off all the time. And the mom's like freaking out and the dad doesn't want to have it. And he's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. But anyways, I, have you guys ever had to like deny to your parents like getting caught, like tossing off or anything? I don't want to say. Oh, no. <laughs> I never did. But I, I got busted one time leaving a magazine in the bathroom. Oh no! And my sister, my little sister, found it and totally like took it straight to my parents. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, oh, that was pretty fucked up. God uh, damn it, Lauren! What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, she still talks about it to this day too, and I'm like, just fucking let it go, dude. <laughs> oh my god, that's fucked up. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's uh, the awkwardness of being a teenager around your parents with that kind of stuff, but. That gives us a really good scene. I think that part's like genuinely really funny. And again, it's a credit to Anthony Michael Hall. Have you ever wondered how sad it is that your son's only sexual outlet is tossing off to magazines in the bathroom? Oh, Gary! Ma, I never tossed off to anything! You told me you were combing your hair! But I was! I was! was. Ma, Ma, shut up! I never never tossed off! I mean, everybody in that scene really deserves a little bit of credit because you have four different people yelling their own lines and having a conversation all at the same time with all of each other. Right. It's like a four way conversation, four way yelling. And they they got through that scene. It it was pretty cool. I mean, it wasn't very long, but I imagine that takes a little bit of work to do that. 
And then Lisa ends up brainwashing the parents, though, too. And, like, the dad doesn't even know who Gary is anymore. He's like, Gary who? I don't even know any Gary. Yeah, that leads to, like, a good bit of comedy. Yeah. It's Gary. It's our boy, Gary. He's our 16-year-old boy. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, Lucy, and I want you to shut up. At the party, Ryer, the our two leads, Gary and Wyatt, they do meet the, uh, you know, the intended and earlier set-up love interests of the movie in the bathroom, right? Right. Yeah. So the party's popping. A couple hundred people walk in. They go to the bathroom to start like amping each other up. And the two love interests, Deb and Hilly, they knock on the door. I think one of them had just farted, so they like have the fan on. They're like burning some paper to get rid of the, <laughs> the smell. That was like a full-on like IBS attack from Wyatt. Yeah. Like he he totally shit in the bathroom. <laughs> Worst possible time for the two babes to show up knocking on the door, of course. But um, right before the girls walk up, Wyatt says something that. I didn't pick up anywhere else in the beginning of the film. He's upset that he can't get close to Lisa. And I don't know when this became a rule. It, it almost seemed like he, they originally wrote it where he was trying to sleep with her and couldn't. Like there was some type of magical rule that he wasn't allowed to. But it, it doesn't really fit in with the film that we got. I mean, it fits in with the TV show where he... They weren't allowed to do anything until they're 18. So there's like something that was removed, it seems like you're saying. Yeah, like a rewrite or something. Maybe they filmed the party scene early on before the rewrites. I, I, I don't know. But it, it, it seemed a little bit odd. It didn't really fit with the rules that were established in the film with Lisa. But yeah, anyways, they're in the bathroom. Um, they start talking to the girls. And there's definitely, like, an instant connection there. They're kind of wowed by this party with all these people, how popular they seem, and with Lisa, how beautiful she is. And it's kind of funny. I mean, I've I've had this before when I was a teenager, and, you know, I dated some really pretty girl. It makes other girls kind of want you more just because who you're dating. <laughs> um... <laughs> But anyways, they, the two boys... Name they, names. Name names? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Gary and Wyatt, they end up uh, going into the, the shower to kind of amp each other up. There's some like weird extreme close-ups that I don't really understand. Maybe it was just a thing in the 80s that, that filmmakers liked to do, but it didn't really... like bring much to the film in my opinion that weird thing with the mouths where it was like they they would go look at gary look at wyatt look at gary look at wyatt when they were talking that um i can't remember the name of the movie but it came from this like movie with these two guys that were partner detectives or something like that and and that was a common thing because they they were they were playing on that with a really it was a fast specific way that they were speaking and the camera action back and forth. Um, I'll, I'll have to maybe find it and we can talk about it later. But um, it, it, it was paying homage to a, a scene from another famous movie. 
I could be wrong, but I think these ladies are stoked for us, Wyatt. I got that feeling myself. What do we do? I don't know. Should we go for it? What about Lisa? She did say we should party. Look, let's get on with these two score points and go back to Lisa. This is like a dream come true. How about if we see if we can score the points with these two and deal with the mechanics when we get to them later? Sounds good. Okay, but whatever happens, gotta give Lisa a shot. I don't want to hurt her feelings. I think the girl's looking for a long, lean bone job for me. Ready to party down? Ten four. Let's break. Right. Yeah, it definitely seemed like it was lifted from something and yeah. made made use of here in like a in like a par- parody kind of way. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It's funny that they go into the uh, shower stall. The girls <laughs> are in the bathroom, like, "Can you excuse us?" And like, they just walk into the shower, like. <laughs> it's funny though. It's like it's it's like just a little bit of separation, right? Like ah, it's a closed door. This is our office. Like let us consult, <laughs> you know. But it's like okay, there's there's a, only like a, a five foot glass wall. And like they peek over it, and you could see them. So whatever they were talking about, the girls could obviously hear anyways, right? And they just leave. They look over the shower, and they've been replaced by like you know two hefty set chicks, which is is pretty funny. <laughs> But you know, I don't, I don't see the two girls leaving the bathroom, and you, you're not hearing the whole party come into the room, you know. But I, I don't know. It made for a funny moment. So what's the deal with Lisa? Can, you know, can we borrow her? Uh, we, we, we can't do that, guys. You know, because common decency prohibits us. We can't. It's not, not cool. Well, but she, she said it was cool. Yeah. We, we can't take advantage of her loyalty. Sorry, guys. Man, but that's really selfish. That hurts, you know? Uh, Ian, uh, just forget it, guys, because we can't do it, you know? Oh, mm. come on. Quit being such pricks. Hey, come on. Regardless of what she may have told you, our feelings for Lisa run very deep. It's like emotions, heavy, heavy emotions. Our feelings for Deb and Hilly run as deep as yours do for Lisa. And it's respect. It's like the time we spent together, you know? And a couple of guys like you deserve them. See, we like your style, so we want to make a deal with you. You let us have a crack at Lisa, and then we'll let you have Deb and Hilly. <sighs> Can you guys keep a secret? Sure. Secret? The two, like, bully guys, Max and Ian, they want Lisa, and they're willing to trade their girlfriends to Gary and Wyatt to get Lisa. And again, it's like this weird, like, sharing a woman thing, right? They guess... They said, like, they want a three-way or something. Like, they, they seem like the kind of guys that would be into an Eiffel Tower. They know? do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There might be more going on there, you know? You think those guys fuck each other? <laughs> it was it was the mid-'80s, man. A lot of those new wave dudes were... Uh, Experimenting? Full, full participants. <laughs> yeah. You know? More power to them, you know? Hey, whatever <laughs> floats your boat, you know? Uh, so... I don't know why it doesn't really matter because a lot of things don't make sense in this movie. But they they spill the beans to these guys and they say like you know, off screen yeah we made Lisa and then they they proceed to like attempt to make them a woman too. Now. It does kind of recycle some of the bits from the previous attempt, right? They, they do the same routines, right? They, they do the computer thing. They all put bras on their head, etc., etc. But there's also, like, some pretty, like, gratuitous nudity thrown in here, right, Ryer? Yeah, so there's a girl that's playing the piano at the party. 
Is it at this party or is it just somewhere in the neighborhood? Oh, maybe it's some... I think it's at this party because it, it shows the house, like a wide shot of the house, and um, she gets sucked out of the chimney. Yes. Of course, all her clothes get ripped off. Yep. That was like some Playboy model. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a different time for PG-13 movies, I'll say that. That kind of shit you don't get at all anymore in a PG-13 movie. The 80s were fucking wild, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember watching this movie in the 90s, and teenagers would tell me, there's nudity right there. And, I mean, my little mind was just wondering, like, I, I want to get my hands on this movie and see the boobies. <laughs> Which didn't actually happen until yesterday when I watched this movie again. Because you watched it on TV a lot. Yeah, it was always on TBS. Man, I think I feel like a lot of this is missed on TV because it's basically an R-rated movie just with the PG-13 label. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many curse words on this, and there's I mean, at the beginning when they're making Lisa on the computer, um, a lot of boobies flash on the screen, um, yeah. and then there's this scene, and I mean, yeah, they say the G, they say GD a, a crap ton of times. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's. It's pushing the envelope towards a R rating for sure. They create a nuclear missile because they forgot to put the doll. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that was pretty weird. Like all of a sudden this like 40 foot long missile starts coming through the second floor of the house and then up through the roof. I didn't really understand that when I was a kid, like why that happened. But I realized now like in their layout to create a woman... It like the end point is like two wires and whatever the two wires touch becomes real and appears in that room. So it was Lisa. It was a doll, a woman doll at first. And then this time they didn't put anything between it, but it was just sitting on top of a magazine with a picture of a nuke. That's fucking dumb. (laughs) Yeah, it was very weird. And I don't understand like all the programming that was put into it. Where, where did that all go? It just like, it seemed like whatever the two electrical connections were connected to, that's what it created. So it was like a massive nuclear bomb with boobs. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. Wasn't there a point they were like, no, bigger? <laughs> yes. Yep, they went big on this one. Yeah, also, it shows a sign when all the electrical things are happening. It shows that they're in the town of Shermer which is actually um, a town that John Hughes uses in a lot of his films. Uh, the Breakfast Club is set there, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Weird Science, you know, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, and uh, the National Lampoon's Vacation films. Yeah, it's a nice little town right outside of Chicago. Yeah, it's that classic John Hughes town. You know, you see Shermer in the movie and you know what you're getting. But uh, let's talk about the challenge that Lisa creates for our guys here. Because they're nervous. They still haven't fully come out of their shell, Jonathan, as you were talking about earlier. So she wants to put them in a situation where they can be heroes. Right, Jonathan? Yeah, they, they really need to, like, figure out how to display some, like, inner courage and testicular fortitude. <laughs> um, and so this, like, 
just raunchy biker gang shows up. One of the dudes is like that disgusting guy from the Goonies. <laughs> it looks like him, you know? He's from The Hills Have Eyes. Michael um, Berryman. Yeah, is his what name. A, yeah, dude, that guy's hideous, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's a professional hideous man. Like, that's his job, is to be a hideous guy in movies. Well, what else would you do? <laughs> like, you couldn't do anything with that guy and make him look better. Like, he's like like a conehead with a little bit of Down syndrome. Like, that's just kind of his, like, mixture, right? And then there's, like, the other guy who has... He's like Kano's stepbrother or something <laughs> with the half a metal face. Yeah. Um, and then he speaks in like computer electrical tones. <laughs> like it's so weird. And then, and then like the leader of the biker gang is this like Native American guy with a British accent. Like what the fuck? Dude? He's Australian. Like, dude, then, then why did they make him look like a native? You know, like I don't get it. I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be the same character that he plays in The Road Warrior. Yeah. He's the gay biker in The Road Warrior. He's like, yeah. he's always on a motorcycle and he has some like sub riding like on back of the motorcycle. Some like little like, uh, what do you call him? Like, like a, his little twink. Yeah. It's like he has a little <laughs> twink behind him. Yeah. This one, he's got a chick like chained and like she has a chain around her neck and he's holding on to that leash. Right. Yeah. He's, he's always a dom, this guy, but yeah, well, definitely see... hangs out at a lot of, like, you know, uh, sexually explicit nightclubs and things like that, you know? Yeah, apparently. But, like, I mean, at the very least, these guys are super intimidating. They're all, like, big, they're strong, they're loud, they're dirty, they stink, assuming. And, and they're just, like, they're just there for one purpose, which is to create chaos right and and they do that they do it really well like everybody's literally like terrified of these guys and they give him center stage and then he starts like calling out gary and wyatt for like being a bunch of little pussies like you know here he goes trying to dom these fucking 15 year old kids like dude here's again you know one of those weird adult kid situations <laughs> that's totally not appropriate <laughs> Uh, we're, we're gonna go guys get you guys some drinks. You look like a scotch man. You want some, uh, we're gonna get some stuff. And we'll get Is this your party? Uh, well, yeah, okay. well, kind of. I mean, if you can call, call it a call party, party, you know, because... It's, um, just a few friends. How come? Two unpopular dicks like you is having a party. I don't know. I mean, I guess I was just asking myself that very question, and unlike Dick, sometimes they're the weirdest things, you know, I don't don't know. How would you like all your friends here to know that you wear a bra on your head? (laughs) You know, and then then the kids are like, you know what? They, They grab the gun that they assume is a water gun, and put it in the dude's face and tell him to get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah, they kind of like, they find their courage, right? When their, their pseudo girlfriends are uh, accosted, you know, right. The bikers, they grab the girls that they're interested in at the party, the other high school girls, Hilly and Deb. Yep. And they decide, you know what? All right, let's be brave. And they just like turn it on instantly. And here's what's going to happen. You can let go of the girls and you're going to apologize to all these people. And you're going to get on your bikes and pedal your ugly asses out of here. (laughs) (laughs) So now, uh, we're gentlemen, so we're going to give you a choice. 
Yeah, you can leave in peace. Or you can stay and die. <laughs> and yeah, he's got a piece, so he kind of like punks him. It's kind of cool, right? Like to see like the the fire within these bikers like extinguish as they like start to say, okay, you had a very lovely house. Just don't tell anyone about this. I'd yeah. hate to lose my teaching position. Yeah, yeah. The, the weirdo looking guy was like, oh man, like I got to go back to work on Monday. Yeah. You know? <laughs> these fucking weekend warriors. The wild hogs. <laughs> Thank your pardon. You have a lovely home. Terribly sorry. Call me. We'll have lunch. Can we keep this between us? I'd hate to lose my teaching job. But Ryer, the gun that Gary has, it turns out it was a real gun after all, and he fires it, and it like it scares the hell out of him. What a liberal bitch, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, he like was spinning it around the party, and everybody like freaking out. He thinks it's a water gun, and then he finally pulls the trigger and like shoots the stairs. Yeah, he's definitely surprised, and it seems like uh, like Hilly and Deb were actually a little turned on by it. Like, dang, he's badass, <laughs> dude. Like, he's so fortunate that he didn't fucking kill anybody. Like, he like like any one of those people could have been Alec Baldwin. You know, like, come on, man. Like, Whoa. like I I mean. I don't know. Maybe I'm just an advocate for gun safety, I guess. But like, he was just so fucking careless, regardless of whether you think it's a water gun or not. Like, you don't just go fucking test fire shit. You know what I mean? And like, you're going to tell the difference between the weight of a loaded gun and a fucking water gun. Like, water guns are always leaking, too. You know, seriously, you ever held a dry water gun? No, No, once you put water in them, like the the gaskets and the seals on those things are just always junk. (laughs) Unless you got a Super Soaker 250. Those things are legit. But who the fuck had those? You know, everyone had a 50. Right, right. You had to be a rich kid. Yeah, exactly. Or a Camp Nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, right. With (laughs) $300,000. Fixing up old cars. Yeah. Oh, the good old days. Uh, so Gary and Wyatt too, they do become heroes, right? They they save the party, and then the the girls are are really happy about this, and uh, you know they they get to spend some quality time with some girls their own age. Do they smash Ryer? Uh, they do not smash, or at least I don't think they do. You don't think so? <laughs> Gary and Wyatt don't fuck. You don't think so? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, I feel like they might. They sleep together. They do sleep together. I guess it's a possibility, but it, it just didn't seem like it to me. Um, I mean, I guess they are changed men now. Like, they've totally came into themselves. Um, and it does yes. seem that Deb and Hilly have fallen for them. So, I mean, I, I don't see that it's outside of the realm of possibility. I just didn't really get the vibe, even though they were sleeping in the same bed together. The next morning, Jonathan, Chet comes home from playing Duck Hunt, and this dude is fucking pissed. I mean, there's a nuke in his house, so that's a problem, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this entire house is just, this entire house is fucked. I mean... One room is blue. <laughs> yeah, one room is blue and, like, upside down or something. I don't know. The, the grandparents had shown up oh earlier God, in the, the party, grandparents. and, like, they were freaking out, and, like... I think Lisa 
saved them from having heart attacks for sure. She put them in stasis. <laughs> yeah, and then like shoved them in the pantry. Yeah, dude, I forgot about that. We'll backtrack for a second here. Like, there's this rager '80s party going on. It's like insane. You know, food is disappearing quickly. There's whatever magic going on as well. But like, it cuts to like these two uptight British fuckers with like giant teeth, like. <laughs> having like a tea time at night or something and they're like should we go visit Wyatt ah nothing a teenage boy loves more than to see his grandparents I, forgive my accent I can't do it but yeah, like, that, was pretty, that was pretty terrible but we get the point um yeah no they're at dinner and they decide that they're gonna just make a stop <laughs> by the house and they're like straight out, out of the, the 1940s these people like if it <laughs> I have a wonderful idea, Henry. Mm? After dinner, why don't we stop by and visit with Wyatt? I hate to think of his being alone at home tonight. Doesn't he have anything to read? Well, I don't know, dear. But you know, nothing's more important to a teenage boy than his grandparents. <laughs> we'll drop by. Oh, good. Yeah, they they have like a. It's not really British, but I want to say it's like a like a East Coast northern like formal kind of accent mm. right i thought um, they were british they're not british no i don't think so okay <laughs> whatever i don't think so <laughs> yeah so anyway so they show up at this fucking rager and like they just have they cannot fathom what's going on they're in the middle of the party looking for wyatt and they end up talking to lisa and she puts them in this like sleep state but awake and they actually do a pretty good job of like holding their facial expressions and their body position when they're in the pantry. Cause like you can see them moving just a little bit, but yeah. like, you know, I mean, their arthritis is flaming up. I'm sure, <laughs> you know, like there probably wasn't enough ibuprofen for these guys yeah. to hold it that long. But I, I am impressed by it. I'll say that it would yeah. be tough for me to maintain such an exaggerated, ridiculous rictus smile. You know, yeah. like the, especially like the old woman does. Like she looks insane. She yeah. looks like a victim of the Joker. Like she, she looks like she's like, <laughs> you know she what? Got she got hit with Joker toxin. And she actually legitimately, I, I had at one point a thought that she was actually a male playing a female character. Like her facial structure and the nose and the eyes and just everything about her, like just seemed like it was a male playing a female. That's not your grandmother. That's yeah. a man, baby. <laughs> That's a man, man. <laughs> anyway, so in the morning, Chet finds the grandparents in the pantry. He's it's like one of those stupid gratuitous scenes like Open up the pantry. Oh, hey, grandma, grandpa, close the door. Was that grandma and grandpa in there? Like, come on, dude. Like any real person would just be like, what the fuck is this? You know, like I've never in my life like done that. Then like know? the 80s double take. Yeah, like, dude, that you shit walk, is so dumb. You walk in and it's something like, it's something insane like a dinosaur is in your fucking kitchen. And you're like, yeah. you're like, excuse me, sir. And then you go and you're like, what, 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 what? <laughs> yeah, like, like how fucking like oblivious are you to, to have to that. double take that shit he does it a few times i know it's so ridiculous <laughs> but like i mean this seems like a, a common thing for the 80s though like did this bit does that actually even work for you like for me not at no. all i don't know how 
Uh, that's like unaware you are it's like a comedic like <laughs> shtick that yeah. like was uh falled on a lot for that era like you know it, you'd see it come up all the time but no it's not particularly good maybe at the time that was like funny you know like comedy is something that's always changing as time goes on and that that's very much an it, 80s thing i feel it must have worked back then because it doesn't fucking work now not at all yeah it seems like, like a lucille ball type joke but yeah it's definitely aged out. You don't see that too much anymore. Yeah. You know what's another thing you don't see anymore? Is fucking good-looking puppets in movies. You know, everything nowadays is CG. I know I sound like an old man. Everything's CG nowadays. Back in my day, they use puppets. <laughs> what about Yoda? to get a puppeteer. Hey, we're, we're over 35. Like, we're allowed to say back in my day now. Because, right. like, we <laughs> legit have experiences that are 20 years old. <laughs> we were friends... How many years ago? 25 years ago? Yeah. Like, literally, like, that's the longest thing in my life, you know? <laughs> like, 25 years ago, do you remember in fourth grade? I sound like the grandpa <laughs> in fucking Rugrats. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> puppet show for one-year-olds? Why, when I was a spud, we didn't have puppet shows. If we wanted entertainment, we went out back and pulled up stumps. Then we'd walk 15 miles in the snow. The uh, the Chet transformation, probably the single thing that I remember the most from this movie. It just left such a big impression on me when I was a kid that when I would think of this movie, I would think of Chet as a shit toad monster. Is that what he is? What is he, Jonathan? I I got the vibes of like if Jabba the Hutt and a burnt charcoal briquette had a baby, like that's what he kind of looked like with a flat top haircut, right? <laughs> Like, yeah. this was total, like, punishment for him, right? Like, you fucking piece of shit. Like, you need to stop being such an asshole to these boys. And so she turns him into this, like, hideous thing. Yes. He looked like a pile of baked beans to me. <laughs> <laughs> Less delicious. I always associated him with a turd. I think it's the color, you know? Yeah. In yeah. my mind, like, when I first saw this as a kid, I remember thinking, oh, they turned that guy into a piece of poop. But like it's not quite that. It's just like this weird grotesque monster, and it's it's always cool to see like '80s puppetry, you know. And I, I as I was talking about earlier, like overused CGI nowadays it gets kind of annoying. And sometimes it looks good, and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, I think a puppet is always an interesting thing to see on screen. You know, I think it's always best if something is in front of the camera, right, Ryer? I agree. Yeah, I love practical effects. I mean, a lot of people didn't like when. Um forget which star wars it is but they had an actual puppet for yoda the phantom menace was it phantom menace yep they used a puppet for yoda in the original release and then he was later replaced with cgi so they they painted over him you could say with the special effects so now in the current iterations on disney plus and in the modern blu-rays of the phantom menace he is a cgi character but if you have like the I think if you have the original Japanese DVD or something like that, you can still see him as the uh, puppet. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about one of the uh, the movies from the new trilogy um, where Luke Skywalker's on that island and then Yoda comes out and he's like a ghost Yoda, but they actually used like a puppet. Oh, yeah. The Last Jedi? Yeah, I enjoyed that. I welcome practical effects. Yeah, they're just more based on reality to me you know i 
most of the time when I'm looking at CGI, it it just breaks the movie. I, like I I know I'm looking at some computer graphics, but when I see um, something physical there on screen, I mean, Jurassic Park, the Raptors, they look amazing, right? You know, T Rex. I mean, it still holds up, but yeah, I I I, I love seeing puppetry on screen most of the time i mean sometimes it's not done wrong i mean this is not great puppetry um you know but it it has a cool effect would you please turn me back to normal please i haven't done anything to you no but you've done plenty to your brother like what well let me see uh, you've nagged him, huh? harassed him me? suppressed him <laughs> kept him in fear Come of you extorted on. money from him done out of love just for that i ought to give you a set of elephant balls <laughs> give me your word that you'll leave wyatt and gary alone and i'll change you back oh all right shake on it huh no thanks i i'd rather not yeah, i think it's still a cool puppet even if it's like not the top tier Jim Henson animatronics that you'd expect in a, a movie from this time or that you'd want, like maybe you'd see in Labyrinth or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but it still looks cool, I think. And it's, uh, it, again, it's stuck with me in my mind. It was a standout moment for me as a kid and I love it. Yeah. And it's like, it shot out some slime and like, it kind of makes you cringe. Like it's gross. You know, actual slime just got shot out of this thing. If you yeah. were to see some CGI slime, like your brain's just not going to think it's as cringy. But Jonathan, I think our characters, Gary and Wyatt, they have, uh, they have completed their arc at this point. Would you say that's true? I mean, they've, They've fallen in love. They've kind of like overcome some obstacles and it was all through the help of, of Lisa. Yeah, so um, one of the things that they did in the morning was take the girls home. One of them got to drive a Ferrari, one got to drive a Porsche, took the girls home, made plans, whatever. They came back home and, and Gary and Wyatt decide that they need to explain to Lisa that that they want to date the girls now like they don't really have that romantic interest in lisa any longer because they've now established the connection with those girls that are supposed to be like top tier from school right like they were max and ian top girls. tier babes yeah right so they like yeah they're gonna get max and ian sloppy seconds <laughs> <laughs> but they're okay with that you know because they're only 15 so but uh Lisa and the boys talk. They they have this conversation where Lisa decides it's time to go ahead and go because she's set accomplished and they have accomplished everything that they've set out to do. And then like all of a sudden she just disappears behind a smoke screen and she's just gone, like literally out of nowhere. And at that exact same time, Wyatt's parents show up in the taxi out front and you start seeing all these like reverse camera tricks where the piano gets sucked back into the chimney and like all the furniture slides back into place. Everything reverts back to its original state yeah, as soon as like, Lisa disappears. It's like the end of Jumanji or like kind of like uh, the cat in the hat, you know? And, and 
in a lot of ways, this movie does remind me of like the Cat in the Hat, right? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. these two like innocents that are maybe a little bit like keep to themselves and want to, you know, do things by the book, and then they get introduced to this wild and crazy character who who says like, no, let's be crazy, let's have fun, let's do something else. And then they do it, and there's a lot of regrets involved, but then things work out in the end, they're changed, and then that person kind of fixes everything and disappears, you know? It's kind of like that classic uh, angle. All right, new game. we got to figure out which Dr. Seuss book John Hughes based his movies off of. We're going to see if any other movies we can figure it out. (laughs) For sure. Are you all aware that this was a comic book back in the 1950s? So what I know about Weird Science is that it was like a comic series mm-hmm. with like uh, outrageous like sci-fi stories happening in each issue. It was like an anthology series, kind of like Tales from the Crypt was like a horror comic series. This was like the sci-fi equivalent. Now, I don't know that this particular story was lifted out directly out of a comic, but I know that there was a comic series called Weird Science. Yeah, I've looked at a list of all of the Weird Science comics, and I mean, all I was reviewing were the titles i didn't see anything that like stood out like oh okay this is where they directly got this story from but yeah it definitely was a comic um i think ec comics created it and i'm not really familiar with them but yeah one of those old companies that probably fizzled out but yeah it is indirectly a comic book movie so it's amazing how many movies you'll watch and you'll be like, oh, okay, this is actually based on a comic book and you may have never known. A lot of movies are. I mean, uh, there was a long time in my life that I didn't know that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a comic, for example. Men in Black, etc. Anyway, Jonathan, you were talking about how it wraps up. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, there's not really much else except for at school that Monday... They go into gym class and they get a new gym teacher and lo and behold, it's Lisa. Drop and give me 20. (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, she's gone from their lives, but like her mission in the world continues, right? She's going to like influence and help the next horny teenage boy that needs it, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) The show actually doesn't continue this story like you might think it would. Right. Where like she goes back and she's with Gary and Wyatt again. The show is like a reboot. They just make her all over again. So it's like they go through the whole thing. In fact, they reuse some, not a lot, but they use some of the uh, images from the creation of Lisa in this movie in the show. Hmm. When I was a kid, I really liked that show. Like, I, I remember trying to find it like it was on it was on at weird times on weird channels. It wasn't like a huge thing, but I remember like really wanting to watch that show be like man when when and where can i watch weird science you know no streaming and shit you had to like stay up late or record shit off tv back then but yeah you had to hope that your parents had a subscription to tv guide yeah so you could look it up (laughs) yeah or go to channel zero and watch it scroll for like an hour and then you look away right when your channel is coming up and then you have to wait a whole nother hour (laughs) That TV Guide channel shit. I mean, there was a time, though, like, I remember when that was new. That was around the time I met you, Jonathan. But, like, before that, it was really tough. Yeah. You actually needed the fucking physical TV Guide book. Yeah. So, like you said, it ends with Lisa at the high school. I guess her work in the world is not done. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we go into ratings, Ryer? Well, the way that 
it ended with um, Gary and Wyatt dropping off the chicks. I, I didn't get this feeling, like I wasn't really confident in their ability to keep the girls. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, they had this big transformation. They were put into, you know, uh, all these situations where they had to show courage and, you know, they looked popular. But I think it was Wyatt says that I love you to, uh, to Hilly and... She never says it back. And then sprinklers start, like, spraying on him. So, like, I don't know. Sometimes, like, water in films is rebirth. But it, it kind of seemed like it was just washing away everything that happened before. <laughs> <laughs> Reset. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that brings up a very good point. Like, what does happen in their lives after this movie ends? You know, once Lisa's gone, do things kind of just, like, revert back to square one? Maybe it was just like an adventure they had for a time, but then they're back to their old selves again. Yeah. I'd like to think they do maintain some kind of an arc, though. Like, maybe they're a little bit braver. Maybe they'd stand up for themselves in more cases, etc. Ryer, real quick, the, there's a song that goes with this movie. An Oingo Boingo song, Weird Science, right? Shares the name of the movie. Did you know that... Danny Elfman said that that song is the singular low point of his career. Yes, I am aware of that. And I think he's just really critical on himself. From what I hear, since he got the deal to create the theme song for this movie, that's what got him the composing role for uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So... It was actually like the catalyst for his career. You know, we probably wouldn't have Nightmare Before Christmas if it wasn't for weird science, or at least not the version that we have today. And I mean, he's got an epic career when it comes to composing. I mean, he's probably one of the top five composers of the past 30 years um, or 40 years. So, yeah, I. I know that in the 90s, in Beavis and Butthead, there was a clip of the music video Weird Science, and I know he loathed the music video. Um, somebody else directed it, and typically he would direct his own music videos. So, yeah, it, it's kind of a cringy thing for him um, whenever he watches it. And I don't know, I, I totally understand that, you know, sometimes I'll make a video and right when I put it out and I watch it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what was I doing here? I'm very self-critical. So I, I can see his perspective, but at the same point, I, I think this was an awesome move for him. Um, and, you know, that song still kind of holds up. Oingo Boingo's um, discography isn't great. There's two songs that are noteworthy. Um, and I, I think it's Weird Science, and there's one other song called Dead Man's Party that I absolutely love. <clears throat> that chick is really hung. <clears throat> that wasn't funny, dumbass. <laughs> How come they didn't let that dude back in Duran Duran? <laughs> this guy thinks he's, like, smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> College music sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's only cool if you, like, go to college. <laughs> this video is, like, complicated. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's stupid. Jonathan, any final thoughts about Weird Science, the song or the movie? No. Fair enough. Then let's get into ratings. I'm going to go back to you, Jonathan. On any rating scale you want, what are you going to give Weird Science? All right. So usually I try to wait until after we conclude our pod on giving it a rating and and maybe like being open to changing my rating, right? Like it can learn new perspectives and, and ideas from everybody and that could affect my rating that's not the case with this one it's it's a yes it's a hard yes there's no like out of 10 out of five like i i enjoy this movie it doesn't get old for me um i like the goofiness and silliness of it the awkward teenage stage that like i know that i lived through i can relate to this and and it it holds up really well uh, the camera tricks are fun. The storyline, although so ridiculous, is really fun to watch. And I can enjoy this movie a thousand more times. Um, so that's a big fat yes for me. Right on, man. Uh, I'm going to go next. And I am going to give this a 7.8 shit monster puppets <laughs> out of 10. <laughs> you know, this movie is... Uh, it's very strange. It, it's like it doesn't follow the conventions of a movie. I don't think, like, it doesn't have to like a- appeal to like logic or how things work. It doesn't really have a central conflict. The characters do have arcs, but like, it's just kind of like them uh, progressing as characters. I guess if you want to stretch it, if you want to be less gracious, you could say like it's just Lisa is born and then things happen. It's just kind of like a series of gags and like it moves so fast that it's, I don't know, it keeps your attention. It's funny and it's it's kind of fun. And to go back to what I said a second ago, like this movie has a fucking breakneck pace. Like they make Lisa within like five minutes of this movie happening. Like they just get right into it. Uh, a movie of today's like sentiment of like the modern age it, it wouldn't operate like this movie. It just couldn't. Like, it would have to follow more strict uh, movie conventions, I think. And this movie is just insanity. But Anthony Michael Hall is a fucking genius. And I think he really makes this movie work in a big way. Uh, the premise is cool, too. Like, you know, one of the things that appealed to me as a kid with pretty much any movie is like a sci fi element or a fantasy element or a supernatural element. And if it had like one of those things, I was definitely more interested than just your regular human story. That's how this movie grabbed me. I was really captivated by the angle of like creating some uh, new life form on a computer that you have, I guess, somewhat complete control over. It's kind of cool. And then, you know, as you get older, it's like the sexy angle of it is, in- is intriguing to a, a teenager. And, uh, you know, there's, there's weird shit in this movie for sure, but it, it's kind of funny and cool, and I like it. It's charming in its own way. Anyway, that's it for me. Ryer, what about you? So it's really difficult for me to put a rating on this movie because, I mean, I have nostalgic eyes for it. I grew up with this movie. I, I mean, it, it's kind of a part of me. You know, I, I took some of the jokes, some of the humor. I mean, I... 
have always loved computers and maybe this movie may have sparked a big interest in computers and there's gonna be some listeners out there that are under 30 I I don't know if they're gonna love this movie if they pick it up today Um, for me like all of the the practical effects the reversed uh, camera tricks um, you know I I look past that and I just enjoy the film. So if you're under 30, I maybe it's not for you. I, I I say go ahead and watch it because you have nothing to lose. But I think it may be time for a remake on this one. Ryer is endorsing a remake? Yeah, for sure. All right. What's your pitch? Go ahead. I'm an executive at Universal. Well, I, I heard somebody else's pitch, and it's it's two girls and um, Channing Tatum as as the Lisa type character. <laughs> two girls, as in two underage girls. Yes. And... <laughs> but no, I I wouldn't. I'd, I'd keep it two boys, and you know, have a girl. Um, I I just think that you know, you could make a better version, one that, or not better, but one that younger audiences would watch i mean this movie is like 37 years old it's nearly 40 years old um so i mean my eyes watching this film i'm like okay yeah i'll I'll take it i'll watch it i mean this is not going to be my last viewing of this movie i'll probably watch it two or three more times before i croak but um i mean i'll i'll if i have to rate it i'll uh i'll rate it a c cup if you're into that type of thing if you're into tits <laughs> or or you know a c cup some people you know they want bigger but yeah i, I think it's a great film and I'll, i mean I, yeah like i said i'm i'm gonna watch it a couple more times here's my issue with like modern remakes that are technology-based movies one thing i hate is when they bring in like the cell phone aspect into a movie oh yeah i fucking hate that or like apps do you remember Terminator Genesis where like Skynet was an app? Mm-hmm. It was that there's an app that everyone was getting on launch day called Genesis. And that was actually Skynet and everyone was getting it on their phone or like uh, the, the new child's play movie where Mark Hamill does the voice of Chucky and it, it's all like app based. Like, you know, the, it's like a doll that you control through an app and it's like an app AI. I fucking hate that shit. It's not necessary for every remake. I mean, I understand that technology has changed so much in the last, I mean, five years, 10 years, 20 years, you know, but like it doesn't need to be involved in every remake. Yeah, it really doesn't. Or new adaptations of film. For sure. I, I mean, I'm not really a big fan of remakes in general, but uh, I have seen remakes at work, so it is possible. Did you guys ever see Dread? Yes. Dread is fucking sick, dude. The Judge Dread remake. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, I guess it's a comic, so it's a new adaptation of the same comic, but yeah. the Stallone one, dog shit. The Carl Urban one, fucking amazing. Fucking masterpiece, dude. That movie is beautiful. Anyway, this has been a lot of fun. I want to thank you guys for joining me. Jonathan, thank you for making the trick out here to see me Valley to come podcast with me. You know, you don't have to thank me every time. Like it's not that far. <laughs> like we're not, I'm not traveling three States to come pod with you. You know, it's down the street, man. What you could do 
is put out my Venmo and you could, <laughs> I would take donations for gas money right now, considering that we're in California and I paid six fifty nine a gallon this morning. Holy All right, let's wrap. Let's hear it. No, Lay no, out your Venmo. I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> totally kidding. Ryer, thank you for making your second guest appearance on Big Dumb Movie. What do you have to say for yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm like I said, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, probably listen to your podcast more than any other podcast. So, Ooh. I mean, it's it's an honor to be on here. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. I'd love to have you on anytime. Scheduling is always a nightmare for this podcast. So the fact that we make any episodes is truly amazing to me because it's always a last minute scramble. And uh, yeah, a little bit behind the scenes producing this show is not easy. And nor is it fun necessarily. <laughs> but, but actually doing the podcast is and that's what I live for. So yes. It's always fun to shoot the shit with old friends. For sure. Now, if you, the listeners, want to write in, you can email us at bigdumbmovie at gmail.com. Our Instagram is bigdumbmoviepodcast. What I ask of you is leave us a positive rating and written review on Apple Podcasts. But also, if that's too much or you don't have an iPhone, find us on YouTube, subscribe there, and give us a thumbs up on our videos as they come up. You don't even have to listen on YouTube. You could still listen on Spotify or Stitcher if you're a weirdo that uses Stitcher. But just subscribe to us on YouTube and give us a thumbs up there because the YouTube stuff helps. Other people discover us on YouTube, and the more subscribers we get like you, the more people are going to be finding us. So we would appreciate that a lot. It's been a fun episode. Thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you, Ryer. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, audience. We love you. Good night. Every damn night.
Hey guys, I'm sorry. My daughter just walked in. Um, let me get her out of the room real quick. But Luna, you you watched uh, that movie yesterday. What did you think of those biker guys? Sorry, she froze up. Sorry about that. I'm gonna get her out. I'll be right back. <laughs> She's like, they're fucking cool, Dad. What do you think? She was terrified. She was absolutely terrified. I can't old, believe you fucking put this movie on with your six-year-old. She's four. Oh, whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. That's all right. I was, my three-year-old was sitting next to me while I watched it. <laughs> Many bad parents on this podcast. Great parents. Uh, she was watching Encanto on her iPad, so whatever. Okay. <laughs> if you like Bluey, you're going to love this. <laughs> Have you ever looked at the, since we brought up Rugrats, have you ever looked at like alternate theories of like what the Rugrats um, like scenario? Well, no. What are you talking about? So, I mean, we always took it for face value, right? It's a bunch of fucking like talking babies and, you know, parents and stuff, right? Yeah. But like there's, there's other theories out there that like Stu was like a, like a tweaker, like alcoholic <laughs> and like the grandpa was like the, the Russian grandparents were like, you know, um, exiled or, or fuck, what do they call that? Refugees. Yeah. Refugees from Russia and like all kinds of shit like that. Like there's all these like, like fan theories out there about Rugrats. Interesting. Yeah. No, I <laughs> haven't done any reading into that. It does sound like kind of like the kind of shit that's up my alley though. Yeah. Like I wouldn't go find it. Per, like intentionally like i'm not into that kind of shit but like uh, somehow it came up and i just read about it 